scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, that is 12, 13 in your Black Pew Bibles. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You may be seated. Uh, the assurance and confidence we have in him. That's what we've been talking about in 1 John. Uh, we're at the, this is the last text in 1 John. Next week we'll start 2 John. We'll do 2 John and 3 John. It'll take us a couple weeks to go through each of those, but we'll finish up 1 John and, and move on next week. How many of you, raise your hand if you like a know-it-all. Bo does, I'm sure. Am I like a know-it-all? Yeah. Even if you're a know-it-all, you don't even like know-it-alls, right? And we all, like, at times, you know, we're prideful and we we're, act like we're, we know a little bit more than we, we do at times. But we lived overseas, as, as you know, if you're visiting with us, my family, we lived overseas for 10, 11 years in and, and China and um, just trying to do the Lord's work there in an unreached area. And there was one particular young lady that we spent a lot of time with in our first city. And she was nine years old and a sweet little girl for the most part. But Jenny's in the kitchen, our little old um, kind of, outdoor indoor kitchen we had and she's making pizza and you had to make it from scratch so she got the flour she made the dough and the sauce and all that and she's putting the pizza together and this little girl named Wong Jiaxin she was telling Jenny that she was doing it wrong and trying to correct her and tell her how to make the pizza from scratch and so finally Jenny kind of got fed up and said well have you ever made a pizza before and the little girl said no and Jenny asked her, have you ever eaten pizza? This is kind of, we were in a real third world area of the country and this girl had never eaten a pizza and she says, no. So Jenny says, well, what makes you, a nine-year-old, tell an adult who's done this many times how to make a pizza? See, that little girl was what you call a, a know-it-all, right? And that's kind of gets on your nerves, doesn't it? When people act like they do. Teenagers do that a lot of times, right? You try to tell them something, they're like, oh, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. So in our household, when they do that, we, I kind of go in this spiel, I know. The only mistake God the Father has ever made is giving you a mom and a daddy to teach you anything, right? We do that sometimes. That's the way teenagers are. But we're, we've all been there and done that, haven't we? Uncle Ronnie, we've been there and done that, haven't we? Yeah, shake your head, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we all do that sometimes but John doesn't want these believers in and around Ephesus to be know-it-alls but he does want them to know something and what is that what's he want them to know Reese come on buddy what's he want them to know yeah he wants them to have assurance that they're his that they're his child that they're born again yeah he wants them to have assurance. He wants them to know that they are God's kids. And he's getting on three tests, right? Over and over and over again, he comes back and cycles back to these 
these three tests. And one of the tests is a theological test. Do you, do you John, speaking to these believers in and around Ephesus, and of course to us as well, do you believe that Jesus is God's Son, who came in the flesh as the God-man, the Messiah, who went to the cross also as the God-man, the Messiah, to make propitiation for sin? This God-man died. He rose on the third day so that sinners could be justified. Do you believe that? If so, this is one of the signs that you are His and you should, should give you confidence before God. Theological test. Are you embracing, Taylor, are you embracing the biblical Jesus? Can you say, I love Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Amen. He died to set me free. I am His and He is mine. That's the theological test. The second test is the moral test or the commandment test, right? Is your life steered by God's commands? I mean, we're all sinners, Jeff. We blow it. Yep. Every day, we sin this morning, we'll sin this afternoon, we'll sin tonight, we're just, we fall short. But is our life characterized by obedience to God, to His Word? When you make decisions... Is this book, God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word, does it guide you in making those decisions? Jesus says a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. Right? And part of this moral righteous life is, is not pretending or acting like we don't sin, right? The Bible tells us that we, we've sinned. If you say that you're not a sinner... You don't know truth. You make God to be a liar. But part of the morality test is when you do sin, what do we do? We come humbly before the Lord, pleading your case of Christ's sacrifice for you, yielded to the Lord, humbly confessing and repenting from your sin. The third test is the companion test or the social test. Do you love others? Do you love God's people? Do you want, real easy, really, do you want to be in church? And I'm not saying just today. I'm, I'm going to tell you, today was a rough day. I know it was rainy yesterday. We had not had rain in a long time. We don't even know how to act. Blake, it hadn't rained so long, we don't even know how to act. It rains and everybody's like, man, they come in, bedhead. I mean, I had adults with bedhead. I mean, I can see children, but bedhead, adults. Like, hey, come on, do something with that, right? Now that somebody told me, Jamie, somebody, I'm not sure who it was, said, hey, I fell asleep. I mean, I woke up and then I fell back asleep and I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But we just come in all sleepy and tired today, you know. So we can have bad days. And there's some people who make you sleep in or you oversleep. But generally speaking, do you want to be in God's house with God's people? Do you love God's people? Do you want to serve them? Do you want them to serve you? That's test number three. So do you love Jesus? Do you love his commands? Do you love his people? That's the test. And if you can answer those in affirmative, you should have assurance and there should be a confidence in you that you're his child. Where we're going with our text this morning, we're going to finish up verses 18 through 21. Let me tell you what our points are going to be. We know God keeps his own and protects us from the clutches of the evil one. That's verse 18. Verse 19, we know to whom we belong. Verse 20, we know that God has illuminated our minds so that we can know the truth, Jesus Christ. And verse 21, we know that we should avoid idolatry. What should we know? Look at, 
Look at verse 18. We know God keeps his own and protects us from the clutches of the evil one. Now in context, look at verse 17 of 1 John chapter 5. Jeff read our text for us, our teaching text. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. John teaches us while all unrighteousness is sin, there is a sin not leading to death. We talked about that, right? But John doesn't want his congregants to mistakenly think that it's normal for his children of God to live in sin, in open rebellion. We've seen that already in chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, of course, we're not saying that we don't sin at all. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We make God to be a liar if we say we don't sin. But these believers in these house churches will not continue to live a life characterized by sin. It's not their pattern of life. I told you this was part of our homework when we were going through this, this text, but ask your coworkers, ask your people that live in your house, ask your classmates, ask your friends if they think you live like a Christian or not. Now, some of them may not know what that's supposed to look like, but I think that's a good question to ask, to know where you are. We've all sinned. We'll sin today. We'll sin tonight. It's not about perfection, right? It's about direction. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on this text, he says, future glorification impacts present sanctification, right? We're saved, we'll persevere in our faith, and one day we'll be saved to the utmost, right? We'll be like Christ in our body. When Jesus returns, our bodies will be resurrected and we'll have a new body. We'll be saved entirely, completely. We'll be like Christ. We'll be in His presence forever. But in the meantime, we are moving in that direction, right, of holiness and perfection and Christ-likeness. It says that all believers are protected by God, are kept by God, there in verse 18. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now that, it's interesting, in the Scriptures, five times in the New Testament, talks about how the believers keep themselves. There's things we do to keep ourselves, right? Protect ourselves. But, but here, John is referring to Jesus who keeps the believers. And I mentioned this in our small group this morning. Look at verse 18. But he who is born of God protects him. Now, speaking of believers, but he who is born of God. And if you have a New American Standard, we, we read out of the ESV. That's our pew Bibles. That's what I teach out of. Most of us have English Standard Version. It's a great word-for-word word translation. But for some of you, you, you maybe you'll have a New American Standard translation. It's, it's very literal. It's word-for-word. Word. It's a great translation. In fact, I use it often. But it's a little wooden, meaning when you try to read it, it's very choppy, and it takes a long time to read. It's a little bit harder to read. The ESV is a little smoother. The translation is just easier to read. You can read faster, so to speak. But it's a great, great translation. I study out of it all the time. But in the New American Standard Version, if you have that translation, that he, after but, but he who was born of God, he is capitalized. Anytime you have a capitalized in the middle of a sentence, what's that saying? 
that's a proper noun that's important. It capitalizes in the name for God so that he is referring to God. Speaking of Jesus specifically. But Jesus was born of God, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Why do we need to be protected? Why do believers need to be protected? Look at verse 18, that last part. Because of the evil one. The evil one's trying to touch us. The devil's going to get you. But not us, because we're born again. We belong to the family of God, and we are protected. And the enemy, but the enemy does have capabilities, right? Turn your Bible to uh, Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Flip left. It's right before Psalms. So go to the middle of your Bible. You should get to Psalms, split it, and, and then go left. Job chapter 1. You remember the story of Job? Let's read this. Job chapter 1. So the enemy has capabilities, and we'll see some of those on display here. If you have a black pew Bible, it's 491. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? And it's true. God had blessed Job immensely, hadn't he? He was wealthy. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So what do we see here? We see the capabilities of the enemy. John Piper commented on this text. I think it's helpful. He says, Satan can take life, as with Job's children. And we didn't read all the account, but you remember the story, right? You recall that. Eventually, everything was taken away from him. Job's, even physically, he had boils and sores, right? His wife was telling him, curse God and die, right? But he continued to trust the Lord. He even had three knucklehead friends, right? Point at, trying to point out things in his life. It must be sin. It must be sin. And Job continued to trust the Lord. John Piper says he can take life, speaking about the enemy, Satan, as with Job's children, he can ruin health as with Job's body. He can torment with demons. He can provoke evil deeds. We see this in New Testament text. He can cause natural disasters. Think about all how Job lost his family. The fact that Satan has such power in the world should give a kind of seriousness to our lives, which unbelievers don't have. How does unbelievers live? Kind of eat, drink, and be merry, right? Kind of aloof a lot of times. It ought not to make us, believers, paranoid or fearful, but sober and earnest in our prayers and persistently conscious of needing God's power. When the enemy is supernatural, so must the weapons be. We're aliens and exiles in the world, not merely because our values differ from those who don't know God, but also because our struggles are different than those who don't know Satan as well. The best way I can describe the, the enemy's capabilities is to say that God has the devil on a leash. Does he have power? Of course he does. Sure, we see it in Scripture. But Satan's power is by permission from God. But we as believers, we're saved, right? We embrace the biblical Jesus, place our faith and trust in what Christ done on the cross for us, for his death, his resurrection. 
And what happens, not only are we given salvation, but we're interceded for. We're, Jesus mediates for us. He, and as he does that, he helps us persevere in our faith. And nothing can impede or interfere with that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Speaking of Christ, right? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, he saves us, but then he constantly mediates for us, right? He's our advocate. He's a mediator. He's constantly praying for us. And what's the result? We persevere in our faith. We're going to look at a lot of texts today. John chapter 6, verse 39. John in his gospel. And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus says that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, don't we? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. 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 That's our inheritance. We're given an inheritance, guaranteed. The Holy Spirit is our deposit, guaranteeing we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have an inheritance. We have a salvation that is gifted to us and is kept for us. Not just because of what Christ has done for us on the cross and His resurrection. Not only because He's given us His Holy Spirit, God living in us, sealing us, but because the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is continually interceding for us. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. And because of that, because of that, not because of what Uncle does or Morgan does or Rodney does or Jake does or what I do, but because of what he has done, we are secure. And the enemy can't touch us. The evil one does not touch him. So grab a hope with the intention of harming somebody, right? He wreaks havoc. The, the enemy wreaks havoc in in the world, that's for sure. That's obvious, right? Families being torn apart. Young people, they don't even know if they're male or female. The drug problem, the abortion problem. Well, I love our governor. I pray for him. I hope you do. Great things are happening in our state. Some folks aren't from Tennessee, but we're glad you're here. But you know what people, you know what people, young ladies are doing who are pregnant and don't want to be? They're going to Illinois to kill their babies or have their babies killed. That's something. You think the enemy is not at work. My goodness. But for us who are born again, he can't touch us in the ultimate sense, right? Because we're, we belong to the Father. We have a daddy who keeps us and protects us. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and present you blameless before the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. He is able to keep us from stumbling and present us blameless. John 17, 15, this is Jesus in his high priestly prayer. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. My children, we catechized our kids. I don't know if you, we've introduced that to you. We um, teach them the Bible, a series of questions and answers, and there's one catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. A lot have used. Question number one, what is your only comfort in life and death? That's the answer. I mean, that's the question, and here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, <clears throat> both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Well put together. God keeps his own and protects us from the clutches of the evil one. That's point number one. Point number two, verse 19, we know to whom we belong. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's a stark contrast between the saved and the lost. The whole world rests in the power of the enemy, and that's evident. I'll give you some other text to show you the work of the enemy. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sowers, verse 3 and 4. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. And then verse 19, 18 and 19, he, he explains this parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When everyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. It's four soils. And this is what happens. The enemy comes and snatches the word from human heart. So that's what one of the things the enemy does. You see it in your teaching. We talk, Morgan and I talk about this sometimes. You're teaching and preaching. And some people are looking at you and it's like, nobody there, you know? It's like they're hearing the gospel, but they're not moved by it. And I can share the gospel or share my testimony. Chris Williams, he's nodding his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's some people it's just like stone cold, right? Yeah, it doesn't resonate with them. Why? The gospel they're hearing doesn't move them. The enemy is taking it away. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 3 and 4 about the enemy. And even if our, this is Paul, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, those who are lost, right? In their case, the God of this world, the enemy, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What does Satan do? He blinds unbelievers. Man, I'm just sharing the gospel. <laughs> young preachers do this. You know, young guys, I'm just sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. And they're just not having any effect. Yeah. The enemy's at work. He's blinding unbelievers. And then think about all the people that are, you see their lifestyle, and they, they, they're totally immersed in the world. They're epitome of an a unbeliever. They're a hedonist. They do only what they want to do. 
Whatever gives them pleasure, they do, and they live their lives that way. But yet, if you ask them, hey, are you a born-again believer? Have you embraced the biblical Jesus? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you, do you seek God? They'll say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in church, blah, 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 blah. Yet, they're sexually immoral, they're self-absorbed, no fruit, good fruit in their lives, but yet they would say, that they're believers. You tell them otherwise, they get upset with you. How is that? Because they're they're deceived, right? And there's some in this world who think sexual morality is not, not only not immoral, but it's actually a good thing. Way to express ourselves. How dare you tell me that I can't do this? Why do they do that? Why do they embrace what is what is clearly forbidden in Scripture because they're deceived by the prince of the world. 1 John chapter 2, we've studied this already, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of the Father abides Forever. How does the enemy, Satan, entice us? Is through carnal desires, through pride. We see him doing that in the world, don't we? Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Jesus, right before he's crucified, having an intimate, sweet time with his disciples, he turns to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And that's, that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? He denied Jesus, and yet he turned back. And God used him in a mighty, mighty way after the resurrection. But you see that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, being led away, the gospel not being embraced, because the enemy is blinding people. The gospel is snatched from the heart of those who hear it. Sit, wanting to sift them like wheat. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Paul writes, But since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Remember from Wednesday night, we've studied this recently. Paul taught that on, uh, taught uh, the gospel, shared the gospel on the second missionary journey. A church was started. He's run out of town. He's persecuted, remember? And he's away from them. He sends Timothy back to check on them to see how they're doing, and Timothy brings back a good report. But he longed to be with them, right? Look at verse 18. He wanted to see them face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and in. But what? Satan hindered us. Yeah, the, the enemy is at work. He hinders missionary work. We've seen it firsthand, haven't we, Jenny? He hinders missionary work. Oh, my goodness. I tell you how many people we pour your life into sharing, loving, and you have somebody come and discourage them or threaten them, and they leave, not willing to meet with you anymore. Yeah, we've seen it as well.
Isn't it interesting how you see the enemy at work and so much deceit, so much wickedness, people embracing what's evil, saying it's good, saying that which things are wholesome and true and they're wicked. The enemy's at work. But for us who are born again, born of God, we've seen that here in verse 18, born of God, it means you're born again. It means you abide in Him. You have fellowship with Him. You love God. You've trusted Christ. You believe God, right? All those are, they all, each have their own theological significance, but they're synonyms. For us who are born again, spiritual death has no hold on me. It's no threat because I'm a child of the King. But in the lost, he is at work most diligently. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul's writing in which you once walked, speaking to these, their believers, right? He's writing to the church in Ephesus, the one that John is writing to as well. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This, you see this, he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's also called the prince of the world in John's gospel. The enemy is at work. But you know, his, his greatest freedom to work is where the human will is most ready to disobey the will of God. That's where we see the enemy most at work. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We've been rescued, delivered from the world. We know we belong to Him. We're not of this world, right? We belong to a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. Verse 20, the third thing we see, we see that we know that God has illuminated our minds so that we can know the truth. Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 22, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It's interesting. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we're in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. God has given us understanding. What does that mean? It means that God has opened up our eyes to see truth. He's illuminated the Scriptures. He's put a big spotlight Lydia has put a big spotlight on the scriptures and allow us to see it and not just see it, but understand the significance of it. And it, not only understand the significance of it, but it moves us, right? It moves us to repentance and faith in the Lord. It moves us to trust what he says is true. Jesus has come. He's come in the flesh, right? He took on flesh. He was born in a manger. He lived his life as the son of God. He gave up his life as the Son of God, the Son of Man. And as a result of that, we know that He is the true God. He is eternal life. This is a work of God in our lives. Paul, he helps us. This is the last scripture. I know we've had a lot of scripture. Like I said, if you want my notes, I'll send them to you. Paul helps us here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 and 26.
Let me just read this to you. I may have given you the wrong text there. They do such a good job. I give them all these texts. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Just listen to this. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents and with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Unbelievers, guess what? They're captured by the enemy to do his will. Sometimes we, we, we are appalled at the world. We really are. We're appalled at the world and all the things that go on in the world. We're like, man, what kind of world are we living in? But I think we, just, we expect too much out of lost people. I mean, they're, they're being influenced by the enemy. They're doing his work. And I think sometimes it's not, not that we should be surprised at their wickedness. We should be surprised they're not more wicked. It's just common grace that allows the evil, right, to be. to be stifled. Believers, we were blinded too, weren't we? You remember? You remember being blinded? I remember. We were blinded too until God opened our eyes through the gospel. Aren't you thankful the Lord illuminated the scriptures and helped us see, see ourselves? And we all had different, the Lord used different experiences, different people, right, in your lives. But we all have a common, as believers, we have a common experience where God opens up our eyes and he allows us to see our sin, lets us see us for who we are. I remember it. I remember it. I hadn't forgotten it. I remember it. And I realized, man, I'm, I'm going to hell. I'm lost. And not only am I, going, am I lost and going to hell, but I deserve it. And that's what I deserve. See, God opened up my eyes. Hearing the gospel, opened up my eyes. I said, yeah, that's what I deserve. You know you're not understanding the gospel. You know you, you haven't had the scriptures illuminated. You know you're not ready to be saved when you, you don't think that you deserve hell. People, everything above hell is a privilege. We deserve hell and nothing more. I remember when I, I saw my sin for what it was, and then it's, it's, it's interesting how the Lord allows us to see him as he is. So I saw my sin, and I'm broken over it, deserving of God's worst. But then I see Christ and his glory. And there's a, there's a period of time in my testimony where I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the Lord's going to ask me to do. I'm not sure what he's going to ask me to give up. I'm not sure what my friends are going to say. And so I'm just like wrestling, you know, for a couple months. But I finally came to a point where I saw things rightly myself. I saw him the way I should. And I didn't care what I had to do. I didn't care what I had to give up, what the Lord was going to ask me to do, what my friends were going to say. I just want to know him. I just want to know you. And I cried out to God in faith and repentance. He saved me, changed me. That was his work. Opened up my eyes and seeing it. That's what he's done in you as well if you're a believer. Fourthly, verse 21. Avoid idolatry. This may be a summary of the entire book. This last verse. It's kind of thrown in there. Like, what? It's kind of thrown in there. It's kind of like a, you know, just a little extra something, something. I don't think so. 
I mean, God has made himself known to us as believers. He's given us who believe understanding so that we can be saved. So we have an obligation to obey and to avoid idols. We're not thinking about bowing down to statues or little things made of wood or, or iron. No, I think we're warned here not to follow a God of our own imagination like the false teachers in Ephesus, those who had left the church. That's what they were doing. They were worshiping idols, a figment of their imagination. They, they weren't embracing the Christ of the Bible. It was some fictitious Gnostic thing. So by way of application, I, I'll ask, is your life... A life lived following idols? Have you embraced the biblical Jesus? Are you following a God of your own imagination instead of the biblical Jesus? You say, well, I, what do you mean by that? Come on. Well, let me give you a specific example. You say, well, you know, it don't really matter. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. It don't matter how I live. And God is a God of love and he will forgive. You hear stuff like that. It's, it might be a little fictitious Jesus God thing going on there. Are you embracing the biblical Jesus? Are you loving a God of the Bible? Or are you an idolater? Something to think about. Secondly, is your life characterized by sin, rebellion, pride, selfishness? If you fail the moral test, the commandment test, you're probably not a child of God. That's what John's been teaching us. Now, we're not teaching perfectionism. It's all about the direction, right? Not perfection. Are you free from the clutches of the enemy? Satan, only if you're born again. Have you been given a proper understanding of Jesus? I told this story before, but I was in I was in Israel, and I've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Had me stumped, Jerry. That was a text I was studying that day, and I'm like, what in the world does this mean exactly? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I remember being out on the street, and there was a woman there on the street corner, and she was a beggar. And we have beggars in America, right? And they hold up different signs and different things. And, and sometimes you'll see somebody who's not physically well, but this woman was not physically well. She was handicapped, so much so that she didn't have legs. You know, yeah, I've seen pictures of those people with, sitting on little carts and they scoot themselves down the road. No, this woman didn't have legs, but she also didn't have arms. She just had a, a torso. And I remember seeing her and she had a can there in front of her and a sign that I couldn't read. But people would come by and drop something in that can and the Lord used that in my life 
What does it mean to be poor in spirit? In fact, the, the Beatitudes, that's the attitudes that ought to be. We have to be poor in spirit in order to know the Lord. But I remember seeing her and I'm thinking, wow. You know, we have beggars here, but they're able-bodied. And like you, sometimes we think, man, I don't know what's going on in that person's life, but they're able-bodied. They ought to be able to work. See, those people aren't really, really poor. See, this one was poor. She was poor because she couldn't help herself. No legs. She couldn't scratch her nose. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't clean herself. She couldn't go to the bathroom by herself. Somebody had to help her do everything. And then, Lord, I just understood that text. To be poor in spirit means you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually, you can't help yourself. Let me ask you a question. If you're... If you've never had your eyes and ears open by the Holy Spirit as you hear the gospel and the teaching of God's Word, where you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. You probably don't know the Lord. Have you ever come to the point where you're spiritually bankrupt, where you realize, I can't help myself spiritually? That woman couldn't do anything for herself. She needed somebody to help her completely. We spiritually are in the same boat. We can't help ourselves. Just like that woman was at the mercy of whoever could help her, we are at the mercy of a holy, righteous, heavenly Father. What the Lord wants to do is He wants us to see His glory and see our depravity and our sin. We're talking about giving understanding so you can know Christ. That's what the Lord does. He opens our eyes to see that we're spiritually bankrupt. We can't help ourselves. God, we need you to help us. We need Christ. We need Christ. We need the biblical Jesus to help me. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago to make atonement for sinners. He died. He was buried. On the third day, He rose. The Bible says, for our justification. I need to be justified, and I can't do it on my own. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not good in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But God, You are. And I need Jesus' record to be given to me. Yes. I need forgiveness yes. to be given to me. And I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just please forgive me and save me. That's what it means to have understanding about who Jesus is. Where are you? This letter is about assurance. John's not browbeating folks and wanting them to feel guilty. No, he's trying to lift up and encourage the church. Church, be encouraged. If you pass those tests, be encouraged because of what Christ has done for you. He's changed your life. You love the church. I love being here. I love being around people. I love God's, God's body. I want to serve them. I love being served by them. Even though I blow it every day, my life is steered by God's mouth. I really do want to obey the Lord and give Him glory with my life. 
have trusted Jesus, the biblical Jesus, those three tests, if those things are true, if you can answer those questions in affirmative, you ought to have assurance and be encouraged. Church, be encouraged. The enemy can't touch you. But if you can't pass that test, <coughs> repent. That's the solution. Jesus has paid it all. Yes. Repent today. And trust what Christ has done for you 2,000 years ago. And live. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, the evidences of the enemy's work is all around us. Even as we hear the sirens go by, that somebody physically sick or somebody's suffered at the hand of someone else, we know the, the enemy is at work. Father, we see it all around us in our families, our friends' lives, co-workers' lives. On the news, the enemy is at work. And Father, the enemy is at work here. Maybe trying to take the gospel seed away from the heart of this lost person. Maybe he's at work and blinding the eyes of lost people here today. Not wanting them to see their sin for what it is. Not wanting them to know how wonderful perfect and glorious you are Father may you may you work today you're more powerful than the enemy Do a work today.